Hey everybody, that was the Gazette. I am Bo Ransdell, and this is the season finale of season one of Hero Hero Go Show. Uh, I want to start off by saying thanks to everyone who's been listening and providing feedback. And I believe that season two is going to make season one look like an old shoe someone left out in the rain. So that's <laughs> something to look forward to. And quite no laughing during the intro. I want to I also thank everybody who came on the show to talk about some of the finest in Asian horror this season. But that's enough looking back. We have a whole show ready for you right here. And it is an unexpected surprise in a way. We were originally doing this next season, but scheduling has conspired to make this film the last of season one, and it's probably a bit of fate that led us here. Uh, my guest today is Richard Glenn Schmidt of Hello, The Doom Show. Am I saying that right? Uh, that's how I like to Hello, say it. Hello, this is, this is The Doom Show. All right. Hello, this is The Doom Show. I like saying it like it's an announcement, if you will. Um <laughs> He's also uh, one of the day one supporters of this show and has been uh, contributing to my personal J-pop and J-rock library like no other. Uh, it is a sincere pleasure to welcome him to the show. Uh, Richard, what did I miss and who can we blame for that? Well, you always blame the parents. Good. Or in this case, the love demon. But uh, yeah. thank you so much for having me on the show. This has been a dream of mine since episode one. And uh, I am glad to be here to make the finale a cliffhanger or a terrible, terrible disappointment. <laughs> Let's not rule out the possibility of both. I mean, no, I'm not. I'm going to do great. Yeah, it, it, it's going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Yay! Um, so the movie, which we have not mentioned yet uh, today, is uh, Tomie. Um, I always pronounced it Tomie until I watched the movie. And then it was like, oh, there, no one calls her that. It's, it's the Americanization of her name, but it's Tomie. Um, this came from Junji Ito is the, uh, the, the man we can point the finger at. Um, it, uh, it was a, a, a manga that he had done. And I don't, <laughs> I get spoilers, uh, both for the film and also for the fact that I don't know much about the, the, this series of films or the source material. So, that's where our good friend Richard comes in because he's super smart. Uh. <laughs> don't don't warn him off that just yet. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. So Junji Ito, we had talked about last on this show when we talked about uh, Uzumaki, uh, which is a personal favorite of mine, both the uh, the the manga and the film itself. I love both of those things, and I haven't read the source material for this film, but. Uh, I can only imagine that it is a small sliver of the weirdness of the manga. Uh, am I am I right or wrong about that? Have you read it? Yeah, I managed to gather together. I think I've read all of the Tomie stuff. Uh, it was published in the Museum of Terror series, which I think there were three volumes published stateside, and all the Tomie stuff is in those. And uh, yeah, it's the movies are pretty pretty close um much like the film uzumaki can't quite do all of the insane shit from the manga uh the tomie is uh, the tomie is similar and uh i'm hoping that there's some unread stories by me when they put out the the hardcover that's supposedly coming out uh before the end of this year excellent okay so let's uh let's start at the beginning here 
So, uh, in the, the film version, uh, done in 1999, which I think is interesting because this kind of predates the big J-horror boom. You know, it's, it's, oh, yeah. it's right before it, but it's pre, uh, Juan, it's pre Ringu, it's pre Battle Royale, like all the, all the stuff like Dark Water and all the stuff that people know. This came before, you know, and, and is maybe the oldest movie we've done aside from Kuroneko, uh, which uh, being 1999 is not that long ago, but you know, mm-hmm. we're not that cultured on this show. We'll get there. We'll get there. I promise. <laughs> Season two, it's going to be real cultured and also probably <laughs> Stacy and probably Frankenstein versus girl versus vampire girl. Oh, snap. Yeah. So not that classy, like classy in the way. That your plumber dad gets classy to go to a PTA meeting. <laughs> That's the best I can promise. Nice, nice. Uh, my dad drove a forklift, so I know exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, my dad was legitimately a plumber, so yeah, nice. I, I remember the the suit that he had, the suit the singular that he had for such occasions. Um, so yeah, that is going to be season two. <laughs> Look for it. it. It'll be on the poster. Um, nice. Just a picture of my dad. <laughs> I think, uh, never mind. We'll get into that next season. Um, so back to Tomie. So this, uh, this involves an initially three girls, uh, one of whom is, uh, Sakiko or Skiko, uh, as her name is shortened in the film. Uh, she is with her friends, uh, Cairo. And I'm forgetting the other girl's name. Yuchi, I think. Maybe. Anyway. So, uh, it doesn't matter because she's only in it for about a minute and a half. Right. And so we're going to skip over her. But, uh, uh, there, we kind of get the, the setup, uh, like Sakiko is, um, young girl out of high school, uh, is into photography. And really the first thing we learn about her is that she's going to um, a hypnotherapist um, who is trying to help her recover memories following uh, an accident that occurred. And the accident left her with uh, some memory loss. She's having trouble sleeping now. Uh, You know, she wakes up with these, you know, horrific dreams, uh, bloody dreams and whatnot, and uh, and then wakes up and uh, can't get back to sleep. Um, Her therapist is um trying to coax these memories out of her and uh i guess maybe the the first real eerie thing that happens in the film is the fact that um sakiko at one point uh as she's in her you know hypnotic trance or or hypnotherapy session uh mentions um the name of uh, a, a kid who was killed uh, in her high school that she had dated previously. And, uh, am I, am I leaving anything out thus far? Um, the, the only, uh, thing you left out was the very beginning has this, uh, very, uh, unique and strange beginning with, uh, a young man walking through the streets of Tokyo, presumably, uh, with a bag with something in it. And he seems to be, uh, he has an eye patch on, and it's just very mysterious, bumping into people as he's walking through the streets. And uh, there's a girl, at least 
a face or a head in the bag. And then it cuts right into the, uh, the, the, the light, the flashing light credit sequence, which would, of course, uh, we'll find out later is, uh, is, uh, Sukiko's therapist using the, the light to hypnotize her. Yeah. And I, you're right. How could I forget the head in a bag thing? <laughs> uh, because it's uh, this kind of yellow irised eye as well. It's not, it's not your run of the mill eyeball in a bag <laughs> that you see. <laughs> day to day and you're walking around time this is uh a a devil eye of sorts and uh so the other thing i want to mention uh right off the bat too is the music arrangement in the film oh man which is this weirdly digitized and and slowed down kind of love song and it's it's really weird like it's unnerving because the tempo is so slow and like take my heart will go on and crank that down a little bit (laughs) and and also don't listen to my heart will go on (laughs) it has this weird uh hypnotic effect on you when you're watching it and it's almost as if um like you said it's something slowed down but in that weird way where they stretch time not like slowed down like this but it's kind of a almost a bowie-esque kind of a melody it's really um all the music in this which i've yet to find uh anyone credited for this music online uh but it's just it's just really uh a solid memorable soundtrack i like it yeah, I really do too. In fact, uh, when I was thinking about music to to pick out for the the show, I was like, I can't really use the the most prevalent music in Tomie because it is it it's distracting, you know. Like, <laughs> not in a bad way. In the in the in the course of the film, it is actually really uh, moody and, and atmospheric, and and it works perfectly outside of the context of that film. You would just seem like you were Buffalo Bill if you played that. <laughs> and, and because of the digitized vocals, even that, I'm like, well, again, you can't really play that under two other people talking. Because all you're going to be listening for is like, what is she saying? Is she talking about love? Is this a love podcast? Are these two people in love? Yes, and that's what we, we are. get to. And absolutely. That's absolutely true. <laughs> um, but, and, and apologies to your wife. But, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was bound to happen. Um, the thing that I think is so unique about the soundtrack, though, is in addition to the digitized stuff, the whole thing sounds like, uh, kind of a funeral dirge throughout the entire film. I mean, it's not, you don't really get the sharp stings and stuff like that, that you do with something like a Juan or Ringu or something like that. It is all mood. This whole movie is nothing but like, we're going to put you in a headspace. Yeah, definitely. And and it does. So as, as we said before, spoilers, because we're going to get into uh, some, some weird shit, um, which is the technical term for what happens in this movie. (laughs) So um, after we've kind of established kind of our main characters the other one is uh saiga who is a dude who is dating uh Sukiko and is also having a little thing with cairo on the side and, oh boy and let's pause one second i i know things are getting racy 
but let's talk about Kyra's hair. Um, <laughs> she has the hair of a disco queen, and it's kind of wonderful. Yeah, that, um, I don't know much about, uh, the actress, um, Rumi, who plays Kyra. She's one of those, uh, infamous one-named uh, Japanese actresses I always love when they have just the one name. <laughs> I like it a lot too. Yeah, well. uh, yeah, Disco Queen uh, sticking her finger in a light socket, very yeah. apt, uh, and she is insanely cute. I, you know, I'm not saying I support uh, Saiga for what he's doing, but if you're gonna cheat, go big. You know, go big or go home. If you're gonna be a bear, be a grizzly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Cannonball One once said, and. Uh, <laughs> And I think I think it's never been more true. Uh, <laughs> I always like it when somehow a reference to a movie like that finds its way into the show because it's completely inappropriate. Um, so uh, Cairo and and uh, uh, Kiori are uh, are getting it on, and uh, I kind of like that whole scene. There's a scene with them in uh, in. I, I assume it's her place uh, rather than his. Uh, but at any rate, they've just got done conjugating the verb. And she is topless, which is kind of unusual in these movies. But, you know, <laughs> I only mention it because of, of its uniqueness. I make no comment on uh, the form of Yumi as a human being, although she is really cute. And... Uh, but anyway, they're talking about, uh, like what, uh, Saiga is going to do with the rest of his life. And finally he kind of turns the question around to her and she thinks about it for, I don't know, about uh, three and a half seconds. And then it's like, I don't think about that. I don't care. And, uh, it kind of made me love that character. Um, and, uh, and I wish there were more scenes with her, um, in this movie. She's not in a ton, but she's really good. And, uh, but anyway, so we, we have established now that, uh, Sakiko is, um, being cheated on. And, um, then I, I guess from here we move to, uh, uh, Dr. Hasono, uh, who is the hypnotherapist, gets a visit from Detective Harada, um, who has easily the most difficult first name I've ever seen to pronounce. <laughs> his name is Tomoroo. Uh, Taguchi is his last name, but oh, it man. is four O's all crammed together quick like, <laughs> and that's hard for this mush mouth to say, but uh, so Harada shows up and we finally kind of get the story of what this movie is about, of, of Tomie. And I don't know, you tell it, because you you are mired, you're steeped in this. Oh man, I'm uh, up to my, my black hair, my long black hair in this one. Yeah. Uh, just a quick shout out to uh, Tomoroo Taguchi, which, oh man, mouthful. Uh, we are in the presence of greatness. Uh, this actor, just want to just throw it out there. This is Tetsuo the Iron Man himself. Um, it, dude, this actor almost 200 credits by uh, this year. And he's amazing, amazing actor. So much good stuff. Um, but anyway, uh, he, uh, Detective Harada, is pursuing a girl named Tomie, and it seems as though 
Uh, she has been around for a very long time, and uh, she keeps dying over and over again. And uh, he is trying to catch her. Um, he, in fact, he is probably obsessed with this character, and uh, he's got all this like kind of broken evidence. He's got the uh, the school picture where everybody in the class is there except one face is scratched out and of course the missing person is Tomie and uh he tells that uh out of all this class um there's been um four suicides uh three people have gone to mental institutions including a uh, one of the professors at the school that all these people went to and uh, he knows that um Sukiko is in that class, and he's very curious about what she may or may not be revealing in her therapy sessions with uh, good old Dr. Hisono. Indeed. And a couple of things I will toss in there. Um, when you say, yeah, she might be very old, he says that these murders and suicides and basically uh, people going love crazy, um, that it goes back to the Meiji period. Yeah. Which is, uh, for those of you who don't know, like myself until I looked it up, um, is about 1870 to 1912. It's right before uh, the uh, First World War. And um, at any rate, so uh, that is super old. And I like the fact <laughs> that uh, th that one of the teacher uh, teachers that she, uh, she has gets it. Um, only you don't see any of that. But I like that story in my head because I was like, well, if it's all just people her own age, that's just 20 year olds, you know, like, <laughs> you know, there, you don't have to be magic to, uh, to make 20 year old dudes murder and kill themselves for a, a little nookie. Tell uh, me about it. I mean, <laughs> I mean, what, how do I know that? <laughs> right. I mean, that was all, uh, expunged. Um, <laughs> but, uh, the fact that it, it happens to older people, and we, we do finally see that in a minute. Uh, but I love this scene. Like, I'm a big fan of scenes that are heavy exposition when done well. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, sort of, uh, like, you know, any scene where somebody lays out, like, here's what the monster is, this is where it lives, he feeds on fear, you know, all that shit. And, uh, with, you know, uh, Detective Harada, uh, I did not realize that was Tetsuo. I, I feel ashamed for that. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> so uh, with him, though, because he is this obsessed character, like I don't think there's any question about it. I think he is completely obsessed with both the crimes and also the notion of Tomie. Like now that he's settled on the fact that, you know, he doesn't think she's human. Right. And so now he is, uh, you know, Ahab-like pursuing her. And this, when he lays out that story, you know, it's like the, uh, uh, the John Houseman ghost story from the fog or something, you know, where I'm just like, yes, tell me the story of Tomie. And, uh, <laughs> it's a great scene. And I also like the fact that, uh, Hosono, uh, the, the doctor, uh, is just having none of it. And, and like, as soon as he kind of lays out, like, here's what I think is going on. She totally fucks off. Like the next scene is like him chasing her. As she's getting in her car. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best. 
and I also like that reaction from a character like you're talking about ghost ladies that have you know magic love powers and I'm gonna bounce um, <laughs> so <laughs> a warning a warning to anyone who is a former smoker or is trying to quit smoking you're gonna have a hell of a time with this movie because everyone's smoking <laughs> oh yeah yeah Oh in, my in, god! In, like, like the doctor's <laughs> office is the thing. It's not like yeah. everybody's just smoking outside and in their cars and shit and at home. It's like you know, like when you see people pictures of people smoking on airplanes. When you're like, they allowed that, right. and it's the same thing when you're when you're watching Tobier because Doctor Hisoto at one point is actually consulting her patient, and without a word, just lights one up and is like, "Yeah, I'm a doctor." I know things are going to kill me, but I got a hypnotherapy shit to do. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it, it's great. Um, she's a fun character. And again, like one of my biggest complaints with this movie, not to get, uh, too far ahead of ourselves is that a lot of these side characters kind of feel underused. Oh yeah. You know, like the movie itself, uh, runs, I think it's about a 94 minute runtime and I kind of wish it were about 15 minutes longer. Um, nice. which is a, like, that's a kind of the sign of a good movie, but also the sign of like, well, there's something not totally satisfying, but we'll get to that. Um, right. so we have the story of Tomie. We kind of know what she is. Meanwhile, uh, we have done a disservice to, um, pirate crazy pants living in the apartment below Sakiko. Cause that's where the guy with the head in the bag has gone. He's renting the, the apartment directly beneath you know our, our protagonist and he is uh growing the head um at one like we see uh him at one point feeding uh yogurt to the head which is now in a nice basket you know like he classed it up once they got back and <laughs> got settled down uh, but yeah, he's, he's feeding it yogurt and then a cockroach climbs into, uh, the basket where said head resides. And, uh, presumably you don't see it, but you can kind of hear the, the sound effects, the crunch of the, the roach and whatnot. And, uh, and then the head pukes on the floor. This all happens in the span of about 60 seconds. And it is 60 of the craziest seconds of my life. Yeah. Uh, it, which it was also wonderful. It's like, oh, that head is alive. And it's making baby sounds. And that dude is feeding it for some reason. And also it ate a roach. And now it's vomiting. And now the guy's <laughs> in hysterics. He is laughing his happy ass off. Pirate Crazy Pants has earned that title. Um, it's, yeah, it's bananas. And then you get a series of scenes like this cut through the Sukiko going to the hypnotherapist and, you know, Harada and Hosono, you know, putting heads together to figure out what's going on, uh, or, you know, Harada kind of letting her know what's going on. Uh, but you have these scenes of him growing Tomie. Yeah. You know, like we have the head, uh, that has baby sounds and <laughs> then we have, uh, you know, a youngish girl, probably nine, 10, something like that. I don't know how old they get somewhere in that neighborhood. And, then finally, you know, to really pop things off in this movie, we have kind of the 18-year-old Tomie. Right. Um, who immediately tells the guy who has raised her from a head 
um, to immediately kill himself after murdering this other girl. Uh, so, I mean, she's immediately kind of bad news. Yeah. I think the, the puking scene with the bug is, and the, and the guy's reaction, his laughter, I think, seriously, is the director like, hey, this is what I find funny. Am I weird? Anybody else think this is funny? Like, this, I think one of the things that separates this Tomie from the other uh, eight movies is that uh, this is really uh, eccentric. This director is just a really, really odd dude. And uh, that whole sequence where the guy is, you know, raising the head into a full-grown woman, I think it's just, he finds it funny or something, so he just is being strange with it. And uh, she is just totally ridiculing this guy, and uh, it's a theme that we'll see. She gets disappointed in men. She gets bored with men, and they always fail her. And uh, this gentleman, um, guy, I cannot remember his name, um, he is no different and he totally fails her so much so that she throws, uh, some freaking uh, nail polish remover in his good eye. <laughs> right. In lefty's good one. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, is pretty, f- and she starts laughing and she's like, that probably hurt. That was nail polish. <laughs> yep. What a lady. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, she's a winner. And the director, by the way, of this film, uh, we should point out, is uh, Ataru Oikawa, uh, who not only directed this, directed uh, a couple of the other Tomie films. Yeah, yeah. And as well as a really bad movie called Apartment 1303 that maybe is his kind of American entree. Um, but at any rate... Uh, yeah, his auteur status, uh, you don't have to go further than this movie to be like, oh yeah, this guy is, this guy's a weirdo. Like, you put, and it's kind of the Junji Ito effect, right? Like, you insert the, the baseline of that weirdness, and directors just go bananas. Oh, totally. And that'll be a big thing in the later, later films, too. Oh. Uh, but yeah, he also did a movie that was really looking forward to and is immediately let down by uh, Tokyo Psycho, which uh, I think is kind of uh, more in keeping with his sensibility than this. So I think it's uh, him struggling with um, something he may not have tackled before. And I think the results are good. But yeah, uh, Tokyo Psycho, not a recommendation. That's a shame because that's a great title. Yeah. Tokyo Psycho is pretty rad. Um, okay. So, uh, where are we? Oh, yeah, alright. So, Tomie is now a grown person, uh, who is throwing hurling nail polish around. Um, <laughs> and it's at this point that Cairo pays a visit to Sukiko. And it's the weirdest visit ever. Because she just <gasps> knocks on the door, and she's like, hey, uh... I guess I better go. And I mean, that's pretty much the conversation. And she, and, and Sukiko is understandably like, are you okay? What is going on? And, uh, Cairo is just like, you haven't heard anything. Okay, cool. Never mind. And it's like, lady, you are the worst at having an affair. That Sketchy. is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've got a hell of an outfit, but 
I, I don't know that it's loud enough to overcome the sound of you sounding like someone who's having an affair. Um, but, which of course is what's happening. And I, other than the fact that we have to get her here in this scene for the next thing to happen, I don't know why she comes to this door. Uh, it's, it, it doesn't make sense to me. But, um, at any rate, she does. She takes off, and then we get our first, um, kind of glimpse of Tomie. Like, this movie plays real coy with w- what Tomie looks like. Right. And so we see her generally from the back, and she's got the long, dark hair. Um, so we don't see her face, or we see a little bit of her profile, but not much. We know for sure she has a mole in the corner of her eye. That's sort of the big tell. Right. And um, so Cairo takes off, and then we see Tomie emerge from, you know, this apartment of horrors, and then follow Cairo uh, down the path. And that's kind of the last we see of them for a bit. Um, Tomie is also in the job market. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So in a in a scene set up a little bit earlier, um, we we find out that Saiga is working at a restaurant with uh, some buddies of his who are in a band, uh, but they're also kind of the cooks of this restaurant where there's a waitress who's kind of mean to everybody. Um, and uh, Tomie applies for a job here, and immediately. Uh, you know, people start to go a little bananas. Oh, yeah. And um, this ultimately leads to a conversation between Saga and Tomie. And it's our best look at her thus far in the film. It's really the first time we, we get a semi-decent look at her. And uh, the whole conversation, though, is about how everybody in the place is going kind of bananas and Saiga is blaming Tomie for it. And, um, meanwhile, Cairo is trying to call him and, you know, he's ignoring that shit. And <laughs> so also, uh, for me, like, so there's the group of friends that are, they're working in this kitchen. And I really do like that introductory scene. Yeah. Um, because it feels very natural it you know it doesn't feel totally staged and you know they're all in a band like if you've ever worked in a restaurant in your life yes half the staff is in a band <laughs> it's it's really great because you get the dynamic of the friendship you, you find out immediately that you know these guys are probably stoners uh they, they probably have big dreams with their band uh, they're also really lazy in the kitchen, uh, but they all agree that that the previous waitress was terrible. And when Tomie shows up, um, Saiga, and this is something I really like, uh, that's done well in the other movies too. He doesn't like Tomie immediately at all. The, based on the way people react to her, he is like, this chick is... Right messed up something's wrong here um so when she starts to work on him it looks like he's not going to fall for her uh love demon shtick which we you know at, at just based on this first film we've 
getting very mixed messages as to what's going on here. But I, I love the scene you're talking about when uh, he's alone in the restaurant at night. He's just goofing off in the kitchen, and then the lights go out. And it's just the red glow of the exit sign, all this stuff, and she's just there flirting with him in the most um, direct way, which I, I'm sure is, makes uh, a lot of uh, Japanese men watching this scene probably really uncomfortable for a girl to be this forward. Yeah, for sure. Oh, man. It's it's standout stuff. You know, I love it. And her entry into the scene is fantastic, too, because it's, you know, the lights have gone out and Saiga's kind of looking around and it's raining outside. And we've seen her before, you know, when she followed Cairo with this sunflower umbrella. And uh, at any rate, uh, Saiga is kind of peeking around looking for... Uh, you know, I, I guess a, a source of light or, or hearing someone outside and all of a sudden into frame comes the, uh, the umbrella with the sound of somebody shaking it out, but it's real unsettling in the, in the moment. It's really good. And, uh, and you know, as you said, like this whole exchange between them is really an utter reversal of tra- traditional Japanese roles, even more so than something like audition. Um, are much more overtly subverting uh, traditional roles, and um, yeah, it's it's really kind of a wonderful moment. Um, and it's like when we talked about uh, Pulse last week, you know, we talked about how the the main character of that film ultimately let, has to let the dude who's been whacked out by you know internet ghosts, <laughs> he's still got to be the one to drive. Even even post getting whacked out by internet ghosts, and you know in this movie you have an eighteen year old girl who is very you know forcefully coming on to this guy. I mean in 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 context very forcefully. Yeah. You know she's not like grabbing him by the lapel and is like you know you're about to go muff diving son. It's nothing like that. <laughs> Can't wait for that remake. <laughs> right. The American <laughs> remake will have that, I promise. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's it, like she picks up his phone and it's like, oh, yeah, the you know girl who called you was crying and hangs it up and is giggling and, and brings up Tsukiko in this moment, if I'm not mistaken, as well. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's it's real eerie um, and, and pretty fantastic, too. So... Um, Harada and uh, Hosono, uh, there has been a, a the body of a girl has been discovered by a dog, <laughs> um, and this leads uh, Harada to uh, a mental institution where um, pirate Crazy Pants, uh, since we can't remember his name <laughs> in the movie, is uh, has been recaptured. He was institutionalized. We learn. Yep. And uh, is now back in the asylum. And uh, we get a look at the eye under the patch. And <laughs> it's it's wonderfully goofy. Uh, it's like what you think would happen if you sneeze too hard. Like your, one of your eyes would just pop right out of your head and <laughs> yeah. stay that way. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 Cover your you know nostrils and mouth and sneeze. And that eyeball droops down <laughs> on your cheek. Um, but it's pretty great. And, and 
like they don't hide it. Once it's revealed, it's always in the shot and it's hypnotic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh they go to um uh find Captain uh or Pirate Crazy Pants and uh and he kind of tells them ultimately the the full deal, like Tomie is here in town. I I I buried her head like a potato. Yeah. And then when I escaped, I retrieved her head and I grew her back. And uh, Harada's like, finally, some answers. And Hasono's like, I'm done. This <laughs> is it. She can't take it. Yeah. Well, I mean, who can blame her? Uh, if I was there and uh, I got to witness uh, some sweet, sweet police brutality. He, this uh, this uh, detective, Harada, kicks the shit out of this guy. Like, it is so crazy. Like, Oh, I thought he kicked the chair. I thought that's, it, that's why he fell down. Yeah, but it's just, he's so, but the violence is just so shocking. Yeah, it's he, like, he karate kicks a chair. <laughs> it's great. Um yeah, so, like, Harada is kind of, and, and he ultimately reveals, like, the true Ahab nature of this character. He finally says, like, yes, I I need to see her. Oh, like, yeah. Like, more than catch her, because she's above the law, she's a love demon, The you know, smoke on the street, she's a love demon, everyone. And I still, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta put eyes on her. Like, I, I, I have no illusions about catching her, putting her in jail, or trying her for anything. I just need to see her. Yep. So Sakiko uh, finally goes to investigate. Like she, she sees her downstairs, downstairs neighbor's door open. Oh man. And, um, pushes her way inside. And the place is a mess. As you would imagine, it's garbage bags and food containers and all that stuff. And she sees, uh, Cairo, in the apartment, um, strangled to death. Uh, and I, when I first saw it, I assumed it was self-inflicted, that it was a suicide. And then pretty quickly, I was dis- uh, disabused of that notion because in comes the landlord of the joint. Oh, man. Gone all Tomie crazy. And he grabs uh, Kiko. And shoves her head first into the bathtub uh, in the bathroom where, you know, she's found Cairo. And uh, he essentially, um, you know, kills her for all intents and purposes. Right. And But she wakes up in the hospital. Oh, shit. And uh, so we have the kind of ultimate confrontation between our penultimate confrontation between Tomie and uh, Sakiko. And we, you know, we get uh, kind of filled in on the backstory as far as, you know, uh, Sukiko was dating a guy. Tomie came to the school. Um, you know, she stole uh, her boyfriend. You know, uh, Tomie stole Sukiko's boyfriend. And that when she, it, it was her boyfriend that did her in that cut cut the head off oh yeah and um and and that's part of the story too is that everywhere she goes she brings like death and madness and then finally some dude kills her 
Yeah. And for, first they fight each other for her affections. Yes. And then the moment the winner is spurned by Tomie, he turns on her and kills her. It's like this uh, cycle that she can never get out of. It's really, really cool. And uh, <laughs> one thing that did happen was um, that restaurant is going to have to have a lot more help wanted ads because the manager is dead and both of uh, Saiga's friends are dead as well. The one guy has that pretty uh, yellow flower umbrella stuck through his fucking face and coming out the back of his head. And uh, that is where I think Detective Harada kind of leaves the movie. Yeah. Yeah, he's done after this. Yeah. He's he's on the scene and he's, you know, surveying the damage and I think that's No, 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 cuz he's at the hospital in the aftermath. Oh, okay. Because there is the final moment where he's like, "Tomie, I missed you again." You know. Yeah. And um but all right, so Tomie bombs into uh Sakiko's hotel room or not hotel room, Jesus. Hospital room. <laughs> right. <laughs> She's not having a holiday. Um <laughs> she was almost, you know, drowned um so tomie is like hey i really wanted to see you we've always been friends and the one of the great things about tomie and uh let me grab the actress real quick because i want to mention her by name uh miho miho kano yeah as tomie um she has this great way of being you know almost lighter than air and sugary and then suddenly turn and has kind of a gruff voice when she wants to. Yeah. It's great. And her little giggle is a little tee hee hee. All that stuff is just, it's, it's simultaneously adorable and the creepiest thing you ever saw. <laughs> uh, it's really great. No, uh, uh, Miho Kano, uh, she was in a, a really underrated, super underrated movie uh, called Echo Echo as a rock. Um, it's a, I think, I don't know how many of the movies she was in, because I think there's three of those films. Uh, she's in the first one, and it's just a fantastic, uh, forgotten Japanese horror movie. Uh, and, uh, she's also in the super, super weird, uh, Hypnosis. Yeah. Uh, which I think was, ooh, IMDb helped me. Uh, it was 99, and that one's also really just a bonkers movie. Uh, but yeah, she is so, she just, They've been hiding her through the whole movie, and even when we get to this point, it's like, you're not ready. Nothing can prepare you for this performance. It's really solid. Yeah, she is tremendous in the role. Oh, and yeah. when you first see her, and God, th this is going to tell you what a dumb guy I am at heart. When, <laughs> when you first see her, it's like, oh, I was kind of expecting her to be kind of like almost model-like stunning. And that's kind of not her bag. It's just all just she's got a, a, a ton of tools in her bag of tricks uh, to make some metaphors there. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, she is she is she's very seductive to watch on screen. You know, she is she is hard to look away from um, at uh, at any rate. Um, Saiga here uh kind of mans up after he sees uh, a picture tossed over Tomie's shoulder and it's a picture that Sakiko kind of forced Saiga to take with her and it's him holding her from behind as she's kind of holding a teddy bear and um, oh man that scene too it's a really great scene yeah <laughs> it's uh, it has one of the best kind of reactions 
of a character when she's like, you know, don't betray me. And the look he gives her is <laughs> just priceless. It's really good. Uh, yeah, Sukiko is played by someone named Mami Nakamura, who I don't know much about at all. Uh, she's she's definitely not as interesting as Tomie, but her character is really well written and has a lot of um the, the the past trauma which her parents have been misleading her this whole time uh they didn't want her to re- remember being in the presence of um one of her classmates getting beheaded so they told her it was a, a car accident or something like that and Sukiko she, she's very damaged um she's very uh eccentric in her ways with uh, her with her boyfriend Saiga and then the moment we were talking about with the her taking a self portrait of the two of them and she's in her bra and he's got his shirt off and she's holding a teddy bear and the whole like don't betray me like <laughs> it's like obviously it's too late but he's like oh shit you know <laughs> a good piece of marriage advice cuz I'm full of that uh being unmarried is uh, you should begin every day with your spouse with those words. <laughs> I do. Yeah, just roll out, like, first thing in the morning, just roll towards them, don't betray me. I just shake my wife awake and, don't betray me. <laughs> now let's take a picture. Yep, I love you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're my everything. Now get in the shot. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, Stay away from Calrie. Stay away from her. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> um... So, uh, Saiga ends up kind of, like, coming out of the spell are really just fulfilling the prophecy. You know, even though his motivations don't seem to be because he's necessarily been spurned by Tomio, even though she is shit-talking him some. Um, it it seems to be, you know, his love for, uh, Sakiko in my, in my read of the film. Yeah. And, uh... So he, he stabs Tomie and then cuts her head off. And and that's the point where uh like Harada comes in with his oh, team. Okay. And like everyone's gone except for all the murdered people laying around. <laughs> and uh but uh Sakiko has taken Hasono's car. Uh, from the parking lot of the hospital, of the clinic, and uh, has Tomie uh, in the trunk. <laughs> so, and, and she's going to take care of business. But she drives out into kind of the middle of nowhere, you know, kind of a, a bay area. And uh, I assume she was originally going to bury the body, maybe. But before she can do that, the body gets up and starts, you know, trying to grow ahead. Oh yeah, and oh uh, man, <laughs> it's <laughs> there is something that's really amazing. Um, in one of Sukiko's uh, flashbacks to the incident where uh, Tomie was beheaded in front of her, there is a a sub- almost subliminal shot. You have to do a frame by frame where they show Tomie's um, 
not the head, but they show her neck where her head's been cut off. And they show it super fast, like boom. So I, you have to go back and rewind and do a little slow-mo and advance real slow. You can actually see this horrible, gross face growing out of the neck. It's one of the weirdest slash funniest things because you're like, oh man, they just showed us something fucked up. So you go back and you just start laughing when you see it. And I think it's another, either they didn't like the way the shot came out or it's again, the director being a goofball and it just looks so cool. <laughs> when you finally yeah. see it, it's it's chilling and hilarious. Like, I guess that would also be Junji Ito. The manga is also got a very perverse sense of humor. It's it's not even gallows humor. It's almost um, what's the the cartoonist name? A uh, Graham something, and I blank on oh. his name. Uh, but at any rate, it, it, it's that kind of stuff. It's like real dark humor, but there are monsters too. Yeah. And, um, uh, it's going to kill me. All right. I'll think of that later. Uh, <laughs> so back to Tomie. Uh, so the head starts to sprout in a, in a wonderfully absurd moment. Uh, then Sukiku, uh, takes off yet again and ends up on kind of a pier. And then Tomie shows up full head intact now and is like hey what are you doing we're friends and Sukiko is like I, I'm not your friend I've never been your friend I was happy when you died you're you're a horrible demon thing uh you know please just go away I was, and you know I think the, the exact line is you know I just want you to vanish and uh Tomie is like no but we're cool and <laughs> let me show you why. And then plants one on her. And uh, it and it was kind of a shocking moment in the movie of just like, did Tomie just kiss Sukiko? And that's kind of their, <laughs> their thing. And oh. then she says, in Tyler Durden-esque fashion, I am you. And And for a second, I thought that's what the movie had done. I was like, did this movie just fight club me? And no, not quite. Sakiko uh, takes a step back, and they're now they're both giggling. You know, they're like, "We're friends," and then we start to see smoke coming out from behind Sukiko. <laughs> <laughs> and she, from behind her, has has apparently snatched a, a flare somewhere along the way, and has lit the thing. And as she laughs. Uh, we get kind of a long shot or wide shot um, of uh, Tomie going up in flames. Oh, yeah. Uh, on, on the pier. Almost, I, I swear to God, I was like, this could be the end of a Friday the 13th movie. And totally. probably has been. <laughs> and I just don't remember it. It's what they call in Japanese cinema the old flare gag. Boom. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, it's... It really is remarkable for kind of how sudden it is and also how weird it is because all of a sudden there's just, you know, here's this life-sized doll standing on a pier on fire. And you're like, wait a second, did she? So did Tomie was her, but then she set something on fire and what the? So then we flash forward because we should probably <laughs> muddy the water some. And... Sukiko is now, uh, she's still, uh, photographing things. 
and um, we see her taking some shots of uh, like a shop owner. And then she goes home. She's developing some pictures, and one of the pictures is a self-portrait. And she notices uh, a bit of a flaw in the picture that looks suspiciously like Tomie's mole. So uh, she rushes out of the dark room, goes to look in the mirror. Sure enough, there's a mole on her face, just like Tomie's. And then Tomie appears on her shoulder and giggles. And that's kind of it. Yep. Um, it's, it's, it's an odd ending to a movie. With Junji Ito's manga, a series of television episodes, and eight proper sequels, Tomie is undoubtedly a popular character. Sadly, the original film only hints at the strangeness of this character. So, as a matter of public service, I give you some of the general attributes of Atomie, yes there are multiples, in the series. Atomie is able to reproduce by parthenogenesis, that is, a simple tumor growing on Atomie can develop and become a whole new Tomie. This can also be done, as seen in the original film, by growing Tomie from a dismembered body part. Worse for victims, Atomie split in twain would essentially form two Tomies. The only real way to kill a Tomie is to burn them to death, leaving behind no remains. As we discuss, the point of a Tomie is to seduce and destroy. She inspires, like a succubus, lusty fascination from the men around her, causing death or, if you're one of the lucky ones, insanity. Women aren't immune either, apt to be driven mad along with their male counterparts, or, more interestingly, infected by a Tomie to create a whole new one. This can be as simple as a strand of hair finding its way into a female host, or, in one case, a girl who received a liver as a transplant from Atomie can be gradually transformed into Atomie too. The best way to identify Atomie is the distinctive mole beneath her left eye. Once you've identified Atomie in your midst, a couple of rules for survival. First, don't get her interested. Atomie is a creature that thrives on the obsessive love of others and turns their affections into a tool to manipulate them. She will take the most innocent among us and turn them into a depraved murderer. Don't take her picture. Much like a western vampire, Atomie hates to have its picture taken, as it can reveal its true nature, usually represented by a second head growing out of the first one. Aside from a beauty mark, you can tell Atomie is afoot if all your male friends start offing each other in an attempt to be the only man in Atomie's life. Once done, this survivor will often be the tool of Atomie's destruction, unless they screw it up real good and just make more Tomie's. Speaking of, multiple Tomie's are no good either. They don't care for one another and will do their best to destroy the other Tomie's. Another downside, radiation has no effect on Atomie other than to make them grow back to health super fast. Medicine has no cure for Atomie. If you have been infected, your best bet is self-immolation or get cool with the idea of becoming an Atomie yourself. This cycle of Atomie appearing, making people go all love crazy until they start killing each other and going cuckoo, will continue until Atomie is destroyed with fire or she simply tires of the scene she's part of and, being above it all, is a big hallmark of Atomie. She's going to want nice food and clothes and be the center of attention up until she causes you to murder your best pal. 
It's a fascinating invention of Junji Ito, this Tomie thing, and writers and directors have certainly played in the fertile soil occupied by various Tomie body parts. Part body horror, part ghost story, part tale of obsessive love and the wages of such obsession, Tomie serves as one of the most fascinating examples of the monstrous woman in modern Japanese mythology. Unlike the stereotypically demure and submissive women seen in Japanese fiction, Tomie is the feminine made horrible, incredibly seductive and beautiful, but destined to bring only strife and sorrow. She is the thing that makes Japanese men afraid because she is the opposite of the stereotype. She's aggressive, uncompromising, and unstoppable. Her only purpose is to bring low the men in her life. Is it further objectification of the assertive woman that we see in Tomie, or is she simply a reflection of the progress women have made and the understandably anxious reaction Japanese men have to the notion? It's hard to say, but between the imaginative and frankly bizarre turns that the stories take and the creepy manner in which Tomie sees all the world as her playground, Junji Ito's demonic daughter is a tremendous addition to the landscape of Asian horror cinema. Plus, there's like 30 movies. And now, back to our resident Tomie expert, Richard Schmidt. So, Richard. Sir. Yes? Uh, as we come to the end of this film, I there is a surprising lack of critical writing about Tomie. Um, <laughs> which is a shame, because I think this movie certainly deserves it. Um, I will say... Before I throw it over to you, I think this movie is genius, but flawed. Yeah. Uh, I I don't think the supporting characters are great. Uh, they're, they're great characters. There's just not enough of them. And the movie is a little, a little light on some of Sukiko's backstory. Totally. And, and, you know, explaining the thing about like, oh, you know, she was kind of led to believe this was a car accident. Um, all that said, the essential story is such a great kind of weird ghost story. I mean, it's not, it's a love demon, you know, she's not a ghost cause she's a flesh and uh, flesh and blood thing that regenerates itself. Um, but <laughs> there's also something really haunting, you know, and you, you had mentioned it earlier, uh, about this cycle that that Tomie is is stuck in, and the only delight she gets anymore is kind of in the suffering of others, and because she can't ever be personally satisfied by anything, in anyone around her. So, I I wonder then what is your interpretation of this film, and especially that ending, starting with the I am you moment. Up to the mirror, like, is it really a uh, a Fight Club thing happening, <laughs> or is it just that's how Tomie is kind of screwing with Sukiko? Uh, I like to think that it's it's her just screwing with her. That uh, you know, the especially later with uh, it's hard for me to just uh, look at just this one film. My brain is invaded by the other ones I've seen. So uh, Tomie becomes even more of a contagion in the other things like her just kissing uh, Sukiko would, would transfer her evil into her. And there's a lot of um, in the movies where the person's body and soul is completely eradicated by Tomie. Um, uh, when she's 
torturing Sukiko, uh, she brings a bag of cockroaches, uh, which is a hilarious moment because uh, Tomie hates bugs, so of course uh, she would want um, Sukiko to suffer as she did when she was buried in the ground. Uh, but during that scene, she's lamenting, you know, you'll get old, you'll have grandkids, I'm I'm a demon, you know, I can never rest. And so she has this bitterness, you know, this uh, this big old uh, teenage-sized chip on her shoulder about, uh, you know, being a, a love demon. And I think it's great stuff here. You know, it's like, uh, it's it's about love obsession and it's about um, losing yourself uh, in the throes of romantic love. It's about um, uh, loss of self, even if uh, you're possessed by Tomie or, uh, you know, you can't, you can never escape her because she's a part of you type of thing. Uh, Like uh, Tomie is an evil side to all women or something. I mean, that could even be one of the statements they're trying to make. Uh, and you know, and you slap on a big layer of body horror over the top of it. And it's just, this is just one of my favorite, uh, you know, unsung heroes, like unsung franchises of horror. I mean, nine movies, nine movies. It's like, what happened? How did that even happen? You know? And so this is like an enduring, uh, legend that was born out of, Junji Ito's mind all the way back in uh, 1987 is when he created this character. So it's this is just fantastic stuff. All right. So that is the game I want to play is can you name all the Tomi Tomie films and no looking? No looking. Okay. Yeah. All right. Just off the top of your head. All right. Doesn't have to be in order. Just try to take them <clears> off. <throat> uh, so we got Tomie 1999. Uh, let's see, and then the same year, at the end of the year, uh, they took three episodes of a show called Tomie, Another Face, and made it into an hour and a half movie. Less said about that one, the better, though I kind of feel like <laughs> revisiting it now that my uh, t- standards have lowered. I mean, uh, tastes have changed. <laughs> uh, and then uh, the next film, which is my absolute favorite in the series, is Tomie Replay which I believe was in 2000. Uh, uh-huh. That is an utterly fantastic movie. Uh, the next and probably the best, not my favorite, but the best, is uh, Tomie Rebirth, which okay. is uh, directed by Takashi Shimizu, and he brings it. I mean, that is great, great stuff. If folks want to watch just one Tomie movie, don't want to get into the series, I say just watch that one. And I think that was 2001. Yeah, yeah. And that's two great tastes that taste great together, I bet. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. It has right. one of the funniest scenes in all of the series. Uh, let's see. Uh, A little uh, mother-son bonding. That's all I'll say about that scene. Oh, all right. <laughs> Not in a gross way, I okay, promise. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> I think 2002 was when they released... Uh, I'm going to screw up the years. I know it. Uh, when they released Tomie Forbidden Fruit. So far, so good. Mm-hmm, which has uh, not one Tomie, but two Tomies. The first time we'll have two Tomies. Uh, and then uh, next up, a few years passed. And I want to say 
Okay, here we go. 2005, maybe? Yes. Is when uh, our buddy uh, Ataru, who did this film, the one we're talking about tonight, uh, came back to the series and directed two films back-to-back, Tomie um, Beginning and Tomie Revenge. And Tomie Beginning is really good. It's a prequel to uh, the 1999 film. And... uh, Tomie Revenge is so faithful to the manga. It actually adapts one of the stories. Unfortunately, it adapts one of my least favorite stories, so I really don't care for that film at all. Um, Then took a break from the Tomie series for a few years, and oh man. Uh, 2009 was Tomie versus Tomie? That is wrong. You should be ashamed of yourself, ah, sir. It's I was trying. 07. I was trying. I blew it. Oh, no, you are uh, you are killing it. <laughs> 07 was Tomie versus Tomie. Oh. Uh, so Tomie versus Tomie. Again, we have two different actresses playing two different Tomies. Um, this is the first one I haven't seen other than maybe 15 or 20 minutes. It looks weird as shit. It takes place in a mannequin factory. So... You've got right. multiple copies of Tomie Plus. Uh, you've got uh, some uh, mannequins, some doubling in that way. It's really interesting looking. I'll have to finish that one later. And finally, the film I know by reputation alone because it's got a great director. Uh, 2011, I think, is uh, Tomie Unlimited. I think it's yeah. even called Tomie Extreme. But. They went with Tomie Unlimited. Uh, the guy who directed that did um, Machine Girl and a bunch of those new uh, Japanese splatter movies from the 2010s. And I think that was, did I say that was 2011? You did, and okay. that is correct. Uh, and that that sounds great because uh, oh my goodness, Tomie oh, uh, scared somebody in my house. Uh, Noboro Iguchi is the gentleman's name. Thank you. (laughs) And yes, he is someone that everyone uh, should pay attention to because he is uh, a madman, quite frankly. Totally. And yeah, just from the trailer, that movie looks bananas. I think there's a millipede Tomie. All right, so I wasn't. I'm not sure I was sold on watching all of these until this conversation, and now I'm like, I've got to watch all of these. This sounds uh, ridiculous in a way that I really appreciate. <laughs> uh, Forbidden Fruit has the most obvious lesbian overtones. The fruit is vagina. No, though it's not explicit. I think the the some nudity is probably the most explicit stuff you'll get in all the movies. Yeah, and I, I'm kind of fine with that, especially yeah. if you're talking about Love Demon. There's plenty of opportunity for this to slip into something a little, not even seedy, like just in poor taste, <laughs> you know. And uh, I, like, it's it's a weird thing to define, but like, I think the "I Spit on Your Grave" remake is actually okay, and I think the sequel to it is done in really poor taste oh man and that's it's a fine line because at the end of the day it's about two girls who had sexual assaults and then commit murder but one of them is kind of okay so (laughs) it's weird it's a fine line and and it's the same problem i have and i think you and i have discussed this actually on on the the facebook group 
like with stuff like Bandmade and like the Lolita style bands. Right. Where there are, there's music I love and I'm like, I don't know if this is okay. Like, I, I feel like I need somebody to check me if it's not. But it seems okay, but I don't know. Just say, I'm a dumb American. I don't know. I just like the, I just like the songs, man. I, but that's kind of where I am. Like, I think Bandmade has some really good stuff. and But at the same time, you see in performance, like, you're all dressed like, you know, Japanese schoolgirl maids. <laughs> and I'm not sure that that's all right. Uh, certainly not through my Western eyes where I'm like, I, I don't think you can argue that this isn't sexist in some way, but, uh, you know, uh, it's something I struggle with in my love for Japanese culture because it, there are things about it that are, are so frustratingly backwards and some stuff that is just so rich and wonderful that I can't give it up, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, I like the reason I can go down that path with you is I know that you kind of you kind of get into that too. The music and 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 just the the cultural heritage of that country is uh, is really something else. But uh, um, look, when it comes to Tomie, to get us back on on topic here, uh, first of all, like I said, I I I never wanted to watch an entire series of movies so much. Uh, as I do right now, and knowing that there's like seven or eight of these things oh, yeah. floating around, uh, it's it's like I need to finish watching all the Juan films, and there's only like you know, there there are easily uh, what seven Juan films. I'm not talking about the American ones, just strictly uh, the Japanese films. I think somewhere in that neighborhood. So um, I got my work cut out for me. That's why <laughs> that's why we do this in seasons. Because <laughs> I gotta take some time off and be like, I gotta watch all these goddamn things. Um, but uh, any any final thoughts on that before we we turn our attention to something a little more uh, celebratory? Yeah, uh, one point you brought up that I really liked uh, was that uh, both Doctor Hisono and Detective Harada they are kind of driving the story for a while, then they drop off and. Uh, Dr. Hisono is even one of the victims in the end, presumably killed by Saiga under the the spell of Tomie. And I never really thought about it before until this viewing that we're kind of robbed of a satisfying wrap-up with that character because, you know, she's clearly good at her job. She cares about her patients. She really is wrestling with the supernatural stuff that uh, Detective Harada has brought into her life. And so maybe that actress was in demand and had to go away. Maybe it's something as simple as that. So they kind of rewrote her character and the same thing with detective Harada, where yes, he's obsessed with Tomie. Um, is he driven mad like everyone else that has encountered her? No. Is he always just one step behind her? So he hasn't been infected by the madness, but the, the case is driving him crazy, you know? So I think those, both of those characters are kind of done a disservice by the five minutes or whatever they spend on Sukiko, ah, Sukiko's uh, like uh, epilogue, which I like okay. I mean, it, it definitely raises some interesting ideas, but I would ditch it for a second for a more satisfying conclusion with those other two characters. And yeah. uh, my last thing about the Tomie series is 
Um, I highly recommend them. Um, I've really only been burned by a couple of them, which I suspect that me revisiting them would be good. Um, it's just like this totally forgotten franchise. I'm really hoping they'll pick it back up and start making some more. Uh, it's it's really cool that there's always been a different actress playing Tomie. Uh, sometimes two actresses playing her in the same film. That's it, it's just fascinating stuff, and uh, it definitely taps into that weird relationship that um, the Japanese men have with uh, Japanese women. It's really, really strange, this fear of uh, being overtaken by love. And uh, if I just, uh, this is my shit, man. I really just appreciate you watching and talking about this shit with me. Ugh. Wonderful. It, it's the monstrous female. You know, I mean, we've seen it in audition is, is the, the clearest example yeah. way back in the first episode we did. But yeah, it is the notion of there is something there is something because of, of these women who are traditionally meek and and respectful and, and subservient. The minute that they show signs of, uh, you know, self-determination and empowerment, it, it becomes a source of horror. Right. You know, and and one thing that we have said often on this show, if you want to know what a, a culture is dealing with internally, watch their horror movies, <laughs> and that'll tell you what psychologically is going on in a country. That's um, why we got all those purge movies. I swear to God. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, we we sent out uh, a request um for some comments and questions to wrap up uh, uh season one here and and richard is good enough to sit in with me some of these are incredibly self-serving uh when i read them so i apologize to our listeners in advance uh for people complimenting me and me reading that <laughs> that there's something about it I, I i'm not totally comfortable with but i also want to acknowledge you know the the great people listening so uh, Joseph Petrusiello says, uh, great season, lots of movies I've seen, and now several I need to. Uh, and Tomie is some fun, sick nonsense. Uh, right you are. Yeah. Uh, hopefully there will be discussion on the cornucopia of sequels to this madness. I think we got you covered. <laughs> I, and I don't think we're done with this series on this show. So, uh, buckle in. I'm gonna, I'm gonna sample and we're gonna do the creme de la creme of Tomie. Nice. Um, and then he says, fingers crossed for Stacy next season. Uh, yeah, that's going to happen. We need to talk about Stacy. Um, <laughs> which is the prequel to We Need to Talk About Kevin. Um, uh, <laughs> so Rob Wilson says, uh, love the show. It's a very neglected area of horror and podcasting. I don't have a question. Just wanted to heap some praise. Uh, thanks very much, man. Um, yeah, that's one thing I found with this show is I don't think a lot of people were paying attention to uh, this subgenre, um, which is a, it, it's totally a shame. There's so much like, and you know, again, you, you've heard me say this on the on the show before, but after the glut of uh, like Japanese horror remakes in the U.S. and then the flood of like Asia Extreme in the U.S., that people had kind of gone to the trough on Asian horror films, gorged themselves and were kind of done. Yeah, the boom, the and, boom has died, but uh there's they're still making horror films, so <laughs> Absolutely. And there's some I can't wait to see like the uh Sadako versus Kayako oh, or yeah. vice versa or whatever. I can't wait to get my eyeballs on that thing. That looks but just absolutely insane. 
Um, but other stuff too, like, uh, was it trained to, uh, Bapan or something like that? Uh, I can't remember the exact title, but it's a, uh, South Korean zombie flick that looks great. Um, Bhutan, I think. Um, uh, The Wailing, I think is another either South Korean or a Hong Kong film, uh, that is supposed to be fantastic. So yeah, there's plenty of new stuff coming out as well. And like, I don't think we're going to suffer on this show for a lack of, uh, of material. Um, but yeah, to, to the larger point, yeah, we all got sick of it. And hopefully this show is kind of here to remind people like, Hey, uh, you know, these movies are actually real good. Um, all right, let's get to the questions. Enough people talking about how much they love the show. Thank you again for writing that. It's it's awkward and wonderful uh, for me to read it. Um, Rob Wilson also backs that up with a question, though. He says, uh, how long between seasons? Uh, about two months. I, I, I don't have an exact date. I did, and then I thought that's probably a little ambitious, uh, and I would rather come back with a firm date. About two months uh, for me to... Uh, get some Duncan and Bo come correct. We'll be doing. And, uh, um, so I'll be around doing other stuff and then I'll come back and do this again. So, um, Duncan McLeish, speaking of, Oh God, what a sorry bastard. <laughs> this is favorite English remake of an Asian horror movie. And what Asian horror movie, which hasn't already been remade as an English language remake, would you like to see? And why, uh, Richard, want you, you got any thoughts on this first before I ramble? Oh man. Uh let's see. I think my favorite Asian remake uh is The Ring that uh it holds up under uh the scrutiny of rewatchability and um I just that's what introduced me to Asian horror. I was completely oblivious to the scene until I saw that and went, "That's a remake? No way." Um uh, as far as one I'd like to see remade. Oh, wow. Um None. As much as I love uh, The Ring, it is such an anomaly when you have remakes like, uh, was it uh, Hideo Nakata's really painfully obscure movie, uh, Don't Look Up, was remade, uh, I think, by Asian money and American actors, and it's horrible. Uh, The Pulse remake, um, over five minutes of it is watchable. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I, I, Scott, I can't even think of a single. Maybe just if they remade something impossible to remake, like uh, the American Battle Royale. Yeah, but you know the the problem with doing that now. We talked about it when we did Battle Royale, but it's that if you made it now, people would be like, "Oh, like the Hunger Games." Right, they would lose their minds. Uh, yeah, so yeah a, a remake, not a ripoff. <laughs> right, right, not not. God, it's just it's it's hard not to think that that was a little bit swiped, uh, just a wee bit. I, you know, I, I'm going to disagree with you on the remake. My favorite is Shimizu's The Grudge, nice because it's Shimizu doing his own movie again. <laughs> and I saw the American one first, and I prefer the Japanese one now, actually. Um, and it took me a while to get there, but I do now. Um. But yeah, I mean, it's Shimizu doing Shimizu, and it's fine. You know, like, I think, I think the pity, uh, which one you saw first, that's probably the one you prefer. Right. You know, um, that might be a little bit of a cheat of an answer just cause, uh, it, it's the same director, but, eh, 
it's Duncan. I'm going to get away with whatever I want. <laughs> um, and what would I like to see remade? Um, I always say Uzumaki because oh, I would I would like to see somebody weird get their hands on that. You know, like I would like to see Jim Jarmusch's Uzumaki. <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> So, uh, that's what I secretly hope for. Um, I don't know, but yeah, other, otherwise there's nothing, um, that I necessarily want to see remade. There's a recent movie called By Location. Um, oh, yeah. that it's not a great movie, but it is the easiest to translate to a Western film, I think. That I've seen remotely recently, and I don't know if it was successful enough to get that kind of attention to be remade, but that one I could totally see being a, a absolutely acceptable American film. Um, and <laughs> that's damning it with faint praise, but that's where we are. Um, okay, uh, one more question uh, from uh, Cindy Sinfallon, uh, also big supporter. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, and she asks, "Am I the only one who recognized some Japanese horror influence in the theatrical release of Lights Out?" Um, I haven't seen Lights Out. I'm afraid. Uh, I don't know. Have you seen it? No, but uh, based just on the trailer, yeah, that is perfectly reasonable. Like that, the um, the way the ghost appears to move. And uh, the way it uh, carries itself has an extremely uh, Japanese uh, or just any uh, Asian horror country's uh, influence. So, yeah. And I'm totally fine with that. Uh, oh, yeah. We need more of that. Yeah. I, I you know, we, we've talked on, on this show before about uh, that kind of stemming from Kabuki and no theater and stuff. And it, it's kind of it's weird that something like the movements of a ghost in a film totally. can really be a callback to something centuries old. The, you know, the uh, One of the things I love about horror movies that the, the, the uh, you know, as opposed to, oh, I don't know, uh, jump scares is uh, the thing that should not be. And a ghost or a, 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 some kind of supernatural being that you're, when you turn the light on, it, disappears you turn the light off it gets closer to you that's something that should not be and that uh, a best example of that is the ghosts and how they move in uh, the japanese version of pulse um, those ghosts are the very definition for me of the thing that should not be and that's a movie that uh, my wife always dreads that i'm you know pull it off the shelf because she does not want to see those ghosts in that again so I like to uh, tease her with that a little bit. Yeah, oh, I love the dancing ghosts and in impulse. <laughs> uh, to me, that's the creepiest motion. Yeah, in the movie. Totally. Um, so uh, we're gonna wrap this up. A final comment, not because I was saving it for last, uh, although it's maybe the nicest. So uh, it's just I missed it on the first go through. So sorry. Uh, Myron Schmidt says. Uh, I was able to turn a friend on to uh, your Miike episodes. Uh, he really enjoyed those. I also enjoyed the show myself. I don't know much about a uh, Asian horror, but you've provided a nice base to build on, uh, and thanks. 
So, uh, thank you, Myron, again for listening. And again, that was kind of the point of the show is, is, is really to highlight, uh, some horror movies that people either don't know about or maybe wrote off for one reason or another. And, uh, like I did with Tomie for a long time, he says bringing it back like a professional. <laughs> um, I, I did kind of have the, have this weird prejudice against the Tomie films only because it was, the the Japanese school schoolgirl kind of thing, and also there was uh, the hint of lesbianism and stuff. And I don't know why, but in my head, I thought the worst thing about these movies. You know, I was just like, I bet it's kind of softcore. Yeah, a little bit. And and after seeing Tomie, I was like, oh no, it's nothing like that at all. It's actually <laughs> it's actually a much more akin to a ghost story like. Not like a Juan, but it you know it 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 is its own thing. It has its own story to tell, and it's uh, it's a really creepy one. And this movie, you know, is the only one I can speak to right now. But I think you're right. I think I I think it's directed by an auteur, even though it's it's not perfect. Yeah. But the stuff that is weird about it is uniquely weird. You know, it's not weird like. Miike weird. It's weird like, you know, Atari weird. So, uh, yeah. Goodness. Um, that is Tomie. And uh, again, thanks everyone for uh, for sending uh, in your comments and questions and, and for listening at the end of the day. Um, so, this, uh, of course, came from the wonderfully insane mind of Junji Ito. Uh, as you've heard, there are approximately... 4,200 Tomie sequels. So, get to watching. <laughs> uh, a final thanks to Richard Glenschmidt for helping make sense of the Tomie series, and I would hazard to guess uh, that we will be speaking again on this show before too long, and and I can safely say that's a promise. Uh, we will do this again, uh, you know, whenever you like. So, uh, you can find Hero Hero Go Show at uh, legionpodcasts.com uh, over on iTunes under Hero Hero Go Show. Uh, you can also send email over at herohero at legionpodcasts.com. Um, and yeah, uh, we would appreciate uh, a rating review on iTunes. It helps others uh, catch the show. Uh, so if you do, thanks very much. And if you don't, please do. Uh, see, we take all comers. We're big tent over here. Um, thanks again for listening all season long. I look forward to engaging with you more in these seasons to come. For the last time in season one, I have been Bo Ransdell, and this is as much Bradio as I can legally play you. See you in two months, and good night. Step into the beat, take it to the top, Let's get my true or I'll look at my
怖いもの。なんてないさ、バリムービン。ダイナマイドグルービン。すべてが音楽に変わってしまうんだ。ボンダブン、ボンボンダボンダブンダオンビース。ああ、感じるままにちょうだい。Oh no。なりぶん気分の BPM が上昇中さ、中さ。Take it to the top. Close your eyes, I go. 